Welcome to Be Ye Hearers. It's a podcast of St. James's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Amen. Please be seated. Eric and I are very excited to be with you this morning to confirm about half the Western world <coughs> and to be with your excellent clergy staff and other staff and ministry leaders in this place that we've only been able to slip into unnoticed before, but never been able to celebrate like this. So thank you for your warm welcome. Have you ever taken <coughs> one of those social media quizzes where you check off the unusual things you've eaten? and not eaten? I'm looking up in the choir loft, I'm thinking maybe so. You know, it's always things like squid, haggis, calves brains, rattlesnake, stinking bishop cheese, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> a few weeks ago, <clears throat> excuse me, a chef at the underground kitchen, you may know about them, was talking about food taboos. What some people consider delicious, other people find disgusting, as he explained that our lovely, locally sourced organic salad would be garnished with flash-fried crickets. <laughs> they were crunchy and salty. It was okay. <clears throat> you know, every, excuse me, <clears throat> every culture, every family has its list of approved foods, right? The right kind of barbecue sauce. <laughs> Don't uh, even talk to us about putting beans in your chili. And for the love of God, never spaghetti and cinnamon, like the Midwest, I don't know. But when we all come together, when we all come together to promise and obey, we prom come together to promise and obey a God who gathers us where? At the table. At the table. And while Jesus walked on earth, he wasn't talking about an abstracted, spiritualized table with small tokens of something like bread and drops of wine, although certainly those have their place in this ritual of our common life in large gatherings. But he was actually going to dinner, dinner, with all kinds of people. He was sometimes accused of being a glutton and a drunk. When his best friends picked grain to eat on the Sabbath, and skipped the popular times for fasting, he just said, well, they're hungry. When the crowd was out too late and there was no Panera drive-through, miracle picnics happened more than once. I understand there'll be one today at four o'clock. <laughs> My friends, it's not just about symbols. It was about food, the kind you put in your mouth and chew and swallow. But again, there's that one teeny tiny catch. For time out of mind, the people in Israel who gathered around the table all used pretty much the same ingredients and the same recipes and the same understanding about what was delicious and what was gross and what was downright unholy. And you know where this is going from our lesson. As with many of the accounts of the major events in the book of Acts, this story is told several times, and it's retold here as Peter's defense of himself against something like disciplinary charges at the Council of Jerusalem for going to another table. 
Peter, long after the resurrection, was down the coast at Joppa, staying at the house of Simon the Tanner, who was not, uh, at, and he was, he was at Joppa. And meanwhile, up the coast, there was a Roman citizen named Cornelius, who was not Jewish at all, but was interested, and who was having visions about sending to Joppa for Peter to have his own private inquirer's class. At the same time, back in Joppa, Peter was having this wild triple vision that you heard about, about a sheet full of what sounds like haggis and clav's brains and squid and rattlesnake and stinking bishop cheese, only really worse. Things that nobody in Israel would touch with a 10-foot pole, but which happened to be favorites of Cornelius. And to which Peter said, not just no, but God no. And besides, I'll get hit with disciplinary charges by the Jerusalem Council, which he was right about. And yet it seemed that Peter eventually obeyed God and dinner was served and the Jerusalem Council was persuaded and the charges were dropped. And not only that, but the newborn church became convinced that God loved Romans. And if Romans, pretty much anybody on earth. And everybody lived happily ever after. Only here we are in a divided world, very divided world, fearful about our church, large C, that doesn't seem to be growing exponentially, sometimes preoccupied with internal squabbles, sometimes fixated on establishing for the world how to make chili right when everybody else does it wrong. I mean, some people put beans in it. There is no way you're getting into heaven with beans in your chili. I'm just telling you. But I think there is a way to get there because I've seen it happen. Carrick and I have two daughters, Emma and Kate, and I like to cook and I tried to feed them well. And Emma, the elder, was pretty compliant about food, normal likes and dislikes. Kate, when she started eating solid food, would eat five things. Chicken nuggets, cheese pizza, Kraft macaroni and cheese, PB&J, cheeseburger plain and dry. That's it. That was the weak mint. So I see some nods. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't go as far as calling her oppositional defiant, although she did once threaten to call the authorities with a complaint about being starved to death when one of those things was not on the menu. The struggle was real. And when the girls were young, maybe five and nine, I took them on a couple of family mission trips to an orphanage in Reynosa, Mexico, where our team did sweaty manual labor in the hot Mexican sun and the resident children who lived there in group homes put on their school uniforms, went to school, came home and had dinner with their foster parents. And then in the evening would pile into this big concrete soccer pit and all 80 of them play soccer. No TVs, no smartphones, those didn't even exist yet. No access to fast food. Kate lived for a week on PB&J. On our last evening there, it was the custom of this orphanage to invite the missionary families to their homes for dinner. It was a big deal for them. In their simple cinder block home was a picnic table where they normally ate, carefully set each place with a plate, a fork, a plastic tumbler for water, and then dinner was served in a big cast iron skillet, scrambled eggs. And because there was company chorizo in the scrambled eggs with a side of flour tortillas, the everyday bread, of northern Mexico. 
And I was dying inside. I mean, I was just anticipating this full-on meltdown in spite of all of the warnings before the meal. And by some miracle of God, I think moved by the spirit of hospitality and the sharing of culture and being around the table, my picky American kid managed to accept what was to her weird food, weird temperatures, weird tastes, weird texture. And as we ate together, a much bigger miracle occurred. There was a new community. There was a new creation. There was a new understanding of the good news that God wants us to have life and have it in all its abundance in a million idiosyncratic ways that all enrich one another. And it didn't end there. For years, our kids begged to go on vacation in a Mexican orphanage. That was unusual. <laughs> and probably it's not surprising, given that we raised them in South Texas, that breakfast tacos did become a daily staple. But what I did not anticipate was that same child, Kate, would leap headlong into Latino culture, live in Ecuador for a year, fall in love with, it got complicated, came back and majored in international affairs at GW and now works for the Central American Resource Center in DC and is coordinating much of the work of that nonprofit, which is now receiving the refugees who go to Texas seeking political asylum and make it through the first uh, check on that. They come from Nicaragua, Venezuela, Peru, Haiti, Cuba, Angola, Congo, Uzbekistan for refuge and are shipped out on buses to DC with a school-sized backpack. So she's there to meet them and we try to help coordinate with the bishops of Washington and Arizona and the Episcopal and Lutheran clergy in South Texas. Now, all of that didn't come from the scrambled eggs, but it did come from showing up at somebody else's table with respect and humility. It came from experiencing grace and joy across a hundred cultural and language and socioeconomic divides. And it came from being willing to set aside our convictions about the right way to do that most fundamental, intimate, identity-creating thing, fix dinner. And it makes me wonder about this church thing that we do, that maybe... Maybe if I shift my focus from getting people to come to our table and do it our way, which is only natural and not bad, we should offer hospitality and we should welcome people and we should share our treasures. And maybe if we serve them and then accept invitations to their table, maybe if there is reciprocal sharing, then whole worlds we have never imagined, whole new communities, a whole new creation, will open before us. Jesus gathered us around the table. And then he sent Peter to new tables. And everything changed. You know what changed? We, us, we Gentiles, were invited to the Lord's table when Peter went to Cornelius' house for dinner. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> it's okay. I leave you with this question. Where will we go? What unfamiliar feast will we share? And how will God's kingdom be expanded in that sharing? Amen.
Thank you for listening to Be Ye Hearers. For our full worship service, go to doers.org slash live. To learn more about St. James's, go to doers.org. We hope you've been touched by the Holy Spirit today. We look forward to being your companion on your spiritual journey.